The human race is about to be wiped out. We have 50,000 people left and that's it. So say we all. So say we all. So say we all. Battlestar Galactica is over, but we have to go fracking down the hatch to talk about Season 2, Episode 12 of BSG Resurrection Ship Part 2. It's down the hatch. I'm Josh Wiggler. That's Mike Bloom. Hello. Yes, we are back. for. I, we should have done the whole me thing. I guess would Part 1 be Resurrection and Part 2 is Ship? Yeah, welcome back to Ship. Because you know what? That ending was for the shippers. It was for the shippers. Yeah, just a little kiss. A little kiss between President Laura Roslin and I'm going to just back away from the microphone as I bellow this out loud. Admiral William Adama! Oh, you're like announcing him like he's the Justice League. Mike, let me tell you something. You ready? Uh-huh. On Down the Hatch, Battlestar Galactica, there has been... You know, for people who don't know, I've seen Battlestar Galactica before. Mike Bloom, this is your first time. Yep, this yep, yep. The, this is the premise of the... So it's a safe space. If you haven't seen Battlestar Galactica before, there's Easter eggs if you have. Um, I feel like I've done a pretty good job of keeping the ship on lockdown. Mike, the spoiler ship that I've, uh, you know, I've protected the plate on, I would say, most of it. Most of it. I have slipped once that oh. I can remember... And I have almost slipped to the point of I had to go back and comb over audio and make sure I didn't say what I thought that I had said. For whatever reason, the hardest thing for me to keep a secret on Down the Hatch Battlestar Galactica has been the phrase Admiral Adama. I have had huh. such a hard time not saying Admiral Adama because it's just right. This isn't a commander. This is the admiral of the colonial fleet. I have struggled so hard to not say Admiral William Adama. And finally, at long last, Mike Bloom, I'm free. Yes. Ah, that's so interesting. First off, I didn't even pick it up. So you never did. You. And I, every time I was like, either he didn't pick it up or he's just like, Huh. Okay. Well, again, I come from the world of Star Trek where I can imagine getting ranks mixed up all the time. And the way that Adama was coming across to me was very Admiral-like already. I know yeah. that Roslyn said the criteria is, oh, if you're in charge of more than one ship and like kind of already was up to this point, he was the highest ranking officer, but it makes a lot of sense. And I'll keep comparing it to my beloved Star Trek Deep Space Nine, but there's a point where Benjamin Sisko gets upgraded from, I believe, commander to captain once uh, things really start going south with the series. And this is a similar growing the beard moment in more ways than one. I do feel bad for Laura Roslin, yeah. though, because like of all the times for this shaken up soda bottle to finally get opened, it's while she's like, the palest and clammiest while she's having one of the worst days of her life. That's when she gets kissed. Yeah. Um, she's been kissed, Mike. Uh, we have a kiss between Admiral Adama and President Rosalind. Do you have any strong thoughts about the kiss? 
Like the kiss itself or the yeah, concept? Yeah, I mean all of it. Like, what was the kiss all about? Is this the beginning of something? The solidification of something? Is it just a sweet gesture? What do you think? Yeah, I didn't know if it was a quid pro quo of like, well, listen, thanks for the promotion. Uh, <laughs> yeah, give you a trip okay. to the casting. Couch. I don't have much to offer, but I could give you one of I, my, my sweet, 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 sweet admiral kisses. Listen, Boomer shot me in the chest, but not in my lips. These things are working just fine. Yeah, maybe it's tradition that when you get. <laughs> When you get promoted to admiral, you have to kiss the person who promoted you. Yeah, I mean, President Adar must have promoted so many people, that sick freak. <laughs> You're an admiral. You're an admiral. <laughs> now kiss me. Come now on. Kiss me, damn it. Yeah. I'm just the janitor. <laughs> nope. Doesn't matter. Kiss me, admiral, janitor. I'm just, I'm just what's his face? What was his name? I'm just Anthony Figursky. Yeah, nope. Come on, Tony. Give now me your Admiral Tony deckhead lippies. Yes, yes. Uh, your knuckle dragger. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I mean, listen, it was, I wouldn't even say it was pent up because like, uh, obviously something had been there, but I was reticent to say if it was a will they, won't they? Because that felt so reserved for the Lee and Starbuck in terms of my energy. And that yeah. felt more, for lack of a better term, carnal. Maybe it was that young love. This more so felt like a, Okay, these two. No, you don't get kissed when you get promoted to carnal. You get a drinking problem. Just yes, ask exactly. Salt High. Yes, ex it's like the uh, the board game of Battlestar Galactica. Is like as you go through promotion, like the game of life. All <laughs> you right, don't you get, get a drinking kissed. problem. You don't get kissed when you get promoted to carnal. You have what a, a Cylon sits on your. <laughs> exactly. Well, listen. Some people would want that more than sure. a kiss. People pay good money to have a Cylon sit on their face. No, no kink shaming. Baltar on this for one big instance. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think that I had sort of like. Not held out hope, but if I was banking on, okay, between Starbuck and Lee and Adama and Roslyn, which would be the more likely couple to, like, happen from a physical perspective, I would have said Lee and Starbuck, just because, again, I think there is more of that genuine, romantic, young love tension yeah. there. I'm still not sure what to make of it. I mean, I think the smile that Adama made, from my perspective, seems to me that, like, there was intentionality behind it. And now I guess that's what was behind the very charged conversation the two of them had last episode. Yeah, of like why she uh, doesn't want him. You, the charged conversation about assassinating Kane, you mean? No, the one where it's like, uh, you know, you better be good. Like, I, I want you to come oh, back. Sure. Like that, yeah. that I thought was ominous at the time, but I think was more so probably hinting towards, hey, remember, these two really care about each other and would really be doing a disservice if they weren't in each other's lives. Right. Okay, well, we'll break down the kiss. We'll break down the promotion. We'll break down the um, assassinations uh, being called off only for Admiral Kane to get shot in the face anyway. Uh, and the destruction of a resurrection ship, Mike. This is a very eventful episode that I do think, uh, I don't think I'm speaking out of school in terms of uh, representing your take here, Mike. I do think that uh, this is also probably like everyone's going to hear this. They're like, yeah, duh. These two episodes play best when watched together. 100%. Because I'll admit, I came out of part two I don't know, a little whelmed. I wouldn't say underwhelmed, but I well, think... It was too hyped for you, maybe. I think especially going in, everything that had been built up, which were these two big spectacles of, okay, here's the big plan to take out the resurrection ship, which will be a game changer for the human Cylon conflict. And then here's this very delicious double assassination plot. I had assumed, okay, the first half of the episode is going to be focused on the former. The second half will be focused on the latter. Technically, it's true. I mean... Yeah. 
this show continues to zig where I think it would zag. The fact that they pretty much made like Game of Thrones season one style, this big ass sequence of taking out the resurrection ship, kind of an afterthought from a plot perspective is super intriguing to me. And I would say like a lot of the genuine climacticism came for me from the decision that Adama and Kane both make to call off the hits on each other. But that being said, it did feel, and maybe it's just my own mental state going into this week, a little disconnected mm. from part one. I do wonder if it flowed better from one right after the other into it, if there would be a bit more hype and there would be less expectation building up. I think maybe my hottest take, Josh, is that Pegasus, which introduced us to this entire Motley crew, was eventually re-edited into like this big, you know... Uh, Huge episode. What, yeah. yeah, like 65-minute episode. I don't think they should have done the same thing for Resurrection Ship. Yeah, interestingly, um, I think that there's probably uh, I, I I think that there's something there. So this is the this episode is Michael Reimer's first writing credit. Uh, who's involved behind the scenes? I think a prolific director here on um, Battle. He directs this episode as well. Um, but in the Battlestar Galacticast episode, um, it's mentioned. This is the podcast with Trisha Helfer and Mark Bernardin, which is spoiler filled. Um, this uh, this episode was originally supposed to be uh, one episode resurrection ship, but there was quote unquote too much good stuff to cut, so they turned it into two episodes. Um, I think that it's like a, an episode that probably has the overall shape of resurrection ship is amazing. I think. Mm -hmm. I think the mm -hmm. overall structure of the episode really really works so many monumental events happen and i think like admiral kane's entire arc is fascinating to me the time that we do have her on the show but i do think that probably across these two 40-ish minute episodes there's at least 20 minutes that feel like deleted scenes um you know so i i think that they could have they could have whittled this down i do think resurrection ship could have played just as well if not better um, as uh, a combined episode, as like a big mid-season premiere. That being said, like for me, it's still a really, really great uh, event for Battlestar Galactica. The assertion of the Pegasus and now having the Pegasus in the roster and a bunch of new characters who are part of this as a result. Um, you know, uh, Fisk, gosh, you know, some sometimes you love him, sometimes you don't. Uh, <laughs> like there's some some interesting people who have who have joined us. Uh, Laird, right, is uh, the the deck guy. Oh, yeah, uh, where did he go? Yeah, he didn't really have much to do in this one. Uh, so I, I think that just like the way that the world expanded, the ascension of Admiral Adama is such a great moment for me. And I think for a lot of other people who love the show that by far and away, like I think Resurrection Ship, uh, very much skewing net positive. But I think I probably thought that the combined score for this for me would end up being a 4.2. I think it's probably going to be like a little shy of that for me. And that's that's maybe a surprise uh, for, for me as well as for some listeners. But of course, people could send in their scores, Mike. They could send them into down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com if they want to rate the episodes. Of course, also in the PSR Discord, which you can sign up for, patreon.com slash postshowrecaps recaps uh and uh, you can hit us up on the internets wherever you can find us at round howard that's me uh at a mike bloom type that's mike just be careful don't spoil mike on stuff mike we've talked around this episode quite a bit do you want to talk about this episode absolutely what if Let you said dive no? in yeah if i said no this would i mean i do want to 
always be about beating records. And we did record probably our shortest DTH episode last week. So yeah, it would definitely set a very high bar for us to clear. Shortest recap for sure. I still can't believe that. Um, All right. It's season two, episode 12, Resurrection Ship Part 2. Uh, it's directed by Michael Reimer, as mentioned. It is written by Michael Reimer, as mentioned, as well as Ronald D. Moore. Originally airs January 13th, 2006. When we begin, Leah Dama is in a tube down by the river. Uh, he's just floating. He's just floating. He's got these sunglasses on. He got, has this energy of like, he's like drifting too far from shore. Like he's just like not quite at land. And that's sort of dangerous. What did you think was going on here? I mean, I had wondered if it was some sort of flashback uh, to just easier days for Leodama. And maybe it was, but I guess also as the episode goes along, it serves as a metaphor for asphyxiation, I suppose. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Does this, does this happen to people? Like they lose oxygen and they go to like a reservoir? <laughs> they go to the lazy river and they just yeah. kind of hang out there as they slowly slip under the surface. But there, there's also stuff falling from the sky at the same time. You a lazy river guy? Um... I mean, listen, when it comes to water parks, uh, given, I think, the limited stuff available that doesn't feel like you're wading through other people's piss, I <laughs> suppose so. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't really like the Lazy River. Why? Do you want action? You're no, all adrenaline? Like you just said. It's like the floating around in other people's pee. Yeah, but at least in that instance, like, uh, there's some sort of, I don't know, lethargic aspect to it. I feel like it's recreational as opposed don't to, be like, on a podcast actively right now, diving into it. being in the Lazy River. Yeah, I mean... There's a good chance, true, that maybe there is more pee. I mean, there's going to be less kids in the Lazy River, but there's going to be more inebriated adults that just feel like they can let themselves go because they believe for some reason that this will carry it out to the ocean and everything will be fine. Okay, so Lee Adama is definitely peeing in the reservoir. Pee Adama is happening, and he sees a light. Well, his, uh, his suit gets a leak later on. Yeah, he so he sees uh, yeah, a leak. I didn't detect any leak. So he sees this light in the sky. It turns out to be a Cylon Raider that is crashing straight towards him. Also, uh, you'll note that Lee has sunglasses on occasionally. Uh Um, This, according to Galacticast, uh, there's some continuity errors where Jamie Bamber has sunglasses on but doesn't in some shots. Yeah, when they come back, he doesn't have the sunglasses The sunglasses were added because Jamie Bamber couldn't keep his eyes open staring into the Vancouver sun while floating in the lake. Oh, that uh, is so feels, relatable. Feels yeah. fair. Yeah. yeah. I mean, anytime, I don't know how people go outside without sunglasses on, personally. I completely agree. Anytime I try to get my picture taken and it's, like, relatively sunny outside, like, I just feel so terrible for the photographers and anyone who tries to get a good picture out of me because I am Squince McGee. Yeah, Squince McGee. Uh, so, Leah Dama, uh, Squince McLee. Uh, he's ah. in, a, in a chair in the middle of space, struggling for oxygen, and we get a title card. 48 hours earlier. Mike, can I say that it feels like 48 hours transpire between Starbuck being told to assassinate Kane and then the mission getting carried out? It doesn't really feel like 48 hours. No, it really doesn't. Hell, it doesn't even feel like 48 minutes. It feels like they got the plan together at the end of the last episode. They're like, okay, let's do it immediately. Yeah. Uh, seems like not a lot doing in the two days in between. They kind of yada yada through that. Should we try to track when one day ends and the next one begins? Like, should I mean, we this try is impossible. There's no demarcator of day and night. There's no sun they're going around. Yeah. How do they even know? What exactly. is time in Battle What is a day? Like? What is a day? Uh, okay, well, what a day that they're going to have of a couple of days here that are going to be very stressful. Starbuck immediately is going to tell Lee, 
dude, your dad told me to assassinate the admiral. And Lee's like, this is not great. Well, oh, no, that's, that's going to be more so his teeth chattering when he's uh, succumbing to the yeah. cold back of his face. Yeah. But more so here, he's taking her hand. He's like, don't worry. I will assassinate this high-ranking officer alongside you because she's really been grinding my gears. Um, and he's also giving, you realize in retrospect, like they're really trying to lay it on thick, I think, with the Lee Adama death fake out of like, listen, I promise you, you have my trust. If we don't have that, then we're no different than the Cylons. I like this now having watched the deleted scene from last week, which yep. if you don't remember, Hasley coming to this moral quandary after witnessing what happened aboard the Pegasus and is like, are we really that much better than the Cylons? Something that his own father will come to a conclusion about. But again, without the scene here, it feels like it comes a little out of nowhere. And I think is more so a bit of setup as to like Lee making this promise to Starbuck that will obviously never go through for various reasons. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I feel like we get, it's a pretty big uh, leap uh, from like, I don't know if we should like, you know, like we're going to have an election to like, we're going to assassinate an admiral. Like, yeah. even if like my friend wants, to, doesn't want to do it, even if my father wants it done. And this person who I like have is like my best friend or I have feelings for it's complicated and she's going to do it. And like, I'm going to help. Like, it just does not feel particularly Lee to like, be like, yeah, I'm on board instead of being like, well, let me talk to my dad and try to like make it so you don't have to do this. Which uh, she like does technically do later on. He does, but then I think he hears like, yeah, Laura wants this. He's like, what? Okay. Uh, yeah, right. he realizes he's really outnumbered. He's like, well, F me. Might as well just eject myself from this conversation. Yeah. Uh, he says something to the effect of, uh, we have to have this, Kara, trust. If we don't have trust, we really are no different from the Racken Cylons. Was he talking that slowly to extend the runtime of the episode? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that idea of the trust that you have to have? Is that what separates us from the Cylons? I mean, I think the Cylons arguably have more trust in each other than the humans do. Yeah, I would think so as well. Like Baby Boomer is the lone exception of the one Cylon that can't trust the other Cylons. Everyone else is in a pretty big hive mind state. Here comes Gage and Vareem. These uh, Pegabros. The Pegabros are showing up to the Pegabrig where uh, Brig Bros, Hilo, and Chief are currently incarcerated. Uh, and they come and they're taunting uh, and saying all sorts of horrible things. And Chief steps up. He's like, you say something, bro? You say something, can't hear you through the glass, bro. Yeah, why don't you come in here with your two guys with guns, and maybe we'll take it outside. This we'll won't take, go wrong at all. I won't we'll get whipped this, by a bar of soap. We'll take this outside. And then, yeah, like, so they storm right in with uh, assault rifles, and Hilo and Chief act scandalized by this, as if they didn't just, like, uh, invite a fight, and now all of a sudden they're like, whoa, we didn't say you could bring assault rifles here. Yeah, I don't know what they were doing. I guess this episode is all about everyone realizing the consequences of their own action, <laughs> considering yeah. that Tyrrell talks a big game. I will say, uh, and we'll talk about, like, what does this say about Fisk? Again, like you said, a bit of a complicated character where it seems like every other scene, he's either good or bad. I do think, again, if we're trying to create our Shangri-La 105 or 65-minute uh, episode of Resurrection Ship, I, I think 
this is me being on brand, but I think you cut all the Hilo and Tyrrell stuff. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't think that this scene is great. Uh, I think it's, it's you know, this kind of just like feels like it's there. Um, they do the Gomer pile, full metal jacket, full metal fracket, uh, putting the <laughs> soap in the in the socks and beating them with the soap socks. And then Fisk shows up and tells him, stop that. You're going to assault colonial officers on this ship. That's very severe, the penalty. You get shot, not shocked. Uh, so maybe don't do that. And so uh, Gage and Vareem are like, all right, see you later. And the Pegabros leave. And then Hilo and Chief thank him. And then Fisk's like, I don't want you to thank me. I liked Thorne. And he was like, Thorne was a rapist. And Fisk says, you can't rape a machine. And he leaves. And like, I guess it is like, it is further, you know, emphasizing the humanity or lack thereof in the Pegasus's view of the Cylons. And I think maybe some of the shifting human perspectives on what kind of life does a Cylon represent as, um, you know, like articulated through Hilo and Chief's storyline. But it does kind of just like feel like, I don't know. I think like within this episode specifically, it just feels like this thing that like, you know, the outcome of before it starts. Right. Like, I think like, you know, like Hilo and chief aren't getting killed in this episode. Uh, like the way that this whole thing uh, plays out. I don't know. It just, it did feel extra. It felt like very extra to me. And I think what's tough as well is that like Fisk is kind of a, I wouldn't even call me a nothing burger because again, there's been like some meat there, but you kind of can't tell what animal it's from. Mm. Where like he is opening up to Ty and he was in the situation that if his, again, his origin story is true, that he was like kind of just handed this role as XO and now sort of captain of the Pegasus uh, later on in the episode. And so he's kind of a victim as well that he doesn't want to get killed by this overbearing dictator. But then at the same time, he has these comments like you can't rape a machine. So I guess maybe this is to reestablish to us that, okay, the Pegasus crew are very by the books. They're sort of do whatever it takes within this certain constraint of rules. But those rules are also very impersonal and allow them to commit basic war crimes, essentially, because they, they deem the Cylons lesser than. It's just a reminder how, again, it feels like the Pegasus, including Kane, was like, frozen six months in the past when the miniseries happened and now they're thawed out and it seems like the big g is coming like face to face with its past version of itself uh biases and all so admiral kane is going to summon starbuck to her quarters she says do you drink and starbuck says do i ever she says only to excess uh and uh, admiral kane thinks that's a hoot she says only to excess did you learn that from the from the colonel, uh, from from Colonel Ty? Uh, and she says, "No, I figured that out before I met Colonel Ty." Uh, this conversation is really loaded because Kane and Starbuck get into it about how, like, uh, Kane says, "Like, I know you're close with Adama. I know he's had to make hard choices." Starbuck says, "You should probably be able to relate then to why he's fighting so hard for Hilo and Chief." And Kane says, yeah, well, look, I've seen a lot of bodies get put in body bags and sent out to space. The sort of like withheld part of that, Mike, is like, I put them in those bags. Yeah. Uh, but she says, but sometimes terrible things have to be done. And if you flinch when the time comes, then more people end up in body bags. Starbuck, promise me you won't flinch when such a time <laughs> comes. Uh, Starbuck says, I won't flinch, but I will schwitz. I will schwitz so hard. Oh my God. She is sweating so much in I'll this episode. I'll just schwitz all over the, the CIC. Uh, so what Kane doesn't know is she's basically telling Starbuck, like, 
So Starbuck, when you hear downfall, you got to shoot me in the head with your gun. <laughs> yeah. And even then Starbucks showing her insubordinations like, no, I won't do it. Uh, yeah. I mean, this was so, so heavy handed, but I love the fact that it was done unintentionally. So that again, it's Kane being Kane and while being tactical, not really seeing the forest for the trees and just being like, you got to roll the hard six. You got to make the tough choices, essentially in the moment, at least signing her own death warrant. Yeah. So uh, pretty ironic, don't you think? Um, OK, Lee is going to take a courier run to Adama's office. It does feel like I was going to say, like, oh, is this part of day one? Uh, is this like are we getting close to like night one of the 48 hours? Because it's probably got to take some time to get from Pegasus to Adama. And then I'm thinking about how we've heard Admiral Kane say to Adama in the past, like, Colonial One, be there in 15 minutes. Yeah. And I always think about like it's got to take like I've been on airplanes before. And you get in your airplane seat, Mike. It takes so long for the airplane to go anywhere. It takes like four hours for the airplane to go anywhere. You can get from the CIC down to the flight deck, onto a ship, out into space, onto the flight deck of Colonial One, and into like the meeting area in 15 minutes. That's the least plausible part of Battlestar Galactica to me. Yeah, door-to-door, 15 minutes. I'm no not here. That commute does not exist. Well, also, I don't know. Maybe I'm relating deep-sea travel to space travel, but, like, isn't, doesn't there have to be some sort of, like, depressurizing situation, any sort of decompression happening? And if she's not available, gate pressurizing like, Yeah, there, exactly. There are, certain, there are certain things that I think need to happen that 15 minutes ain't going to cut it. But anyway, Leodama, I guess it's probably, like, a 40-minute flight uh, to, to get here to be with Adama. He's like, hey, so um, assassination, really? And Adama's like, yeah, I know. And Lee's like, it's not my idea. Lee's like, I don't think we should do that. I don't know if that's allowed. Uh, (laughs) I don't think you're allowed to do that, he says. And and Adama says, look, if you don't want to do it, like I can find somebody else to back up Starbuck. And Lee's like, oh, I'll back up Starbuck. Don't worry about that. I just think this is ridiculous. And Adama says, well, look, you know, the president really wants it to be uh, like, this is like a very like, uh, I'm and, just gonna... uh, son, I'm trying to hit that. And I'm like really working very hard on that. So if you could just be cool, uh, it's been a long time since someone's promoted me to Admiral, if you know what I'm saying. Oh boy. Yeah. Promoting my penis. <laughs> Mike. Um, <laughs> so you promoted my penis. <laughs> well, Lee kind of has like the same reaction. He's like, Dad, okay, that's enough. Uh, he hears the president is involved. He, says, he may as well have that reaction of like TMI. Uh, but here's the here's the president's involved. It's like, okay, I guess this is happening. Yeah, I mean, listen, he can't really do anything. Yes, Lee has certainly gone against orders beforehand, but usually, I think if Adama and Roslin are both suggesting something, that means that you need to do it. Considering yeah. these warring factions, this is one of the rare things that they agree upon. I think you just gotta smile and nod and then drift off into that uh water reservoir sunglass or no sunglass setting later on yeah um okay this is a really fun moment where fisk is assembling his squad starbuck is heading out for the mission they're like both grappling with what they know is coming and then they wish each other good hunting yeah we're gonna rock it tonight like that's the really vibe i was getting of everyone just getting ready for the rumble and then yeah as you mentioned they actually pass each other in the hallway, uh, unintentionally wishing themselves good luck on their respective assassination missions. So they're already about to go off and do this. 48 hours earlier makes no sense. 
unless they just spend a long time in transit. Uh, they just, maybe like, they just spend a full day just being like, -da 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 -da. yeah, maybe they went to Cloud Nine because like Fisk and Starbuck are both gonna have to do some very heavy things. So, like, we're gonna have one fun day on the beach before we go have to take care of our jobs. Yeah, uh, like one last attempt at like team bonding. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, Fisk and his Marines are just having some good uh, trust falls uh -huh. and icebreaker exercises to make sure that they are the top people to get brought in for this everyone has to throw a boot into the center and if you pick that person's boot you have to hear like a funny story about that's them. Get... very tough because they're all wearing the same boots they're all wearing the same boot they're like i have no idea whose boot this is well it's mine now that's now another bonding mission you're wearing my boot now it's my boot i got your toe fungus uh so starbuck and fisk they wish each other good hunting fisk shows up on the big g from the big p saying uh We've been told to, uh, you know, assemble a Cylon boarding party. Uh, and Kane doesn't feel comfortable with you uh, directing her Marines, Ty. And Ty says, well, make sure they're aware of the areas of responsibility. I don't need colonials firing at colonials. And Fisk is like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. Also, we should mention, as much as we're talking about squelchy Starbuck, this dude needs, like, um, one of the Marines to carry a mop behind him because he is so sus the entire time he's on the big g everyone's sweating uh sweating the big stuff i think like you know uh we they say don't sweat the small stuff but i do think like it's worth sweating the big stuff and assassination yeah, you the know big what? stuff nobody says that but it is sort of a double negative right it's implied if you don't sweat sweat the small stuff then you should sweat the big stuff when the big stuff comes along it's like save your sweating for that i guess yeah i didn't even realize that was the intention of the i phrase. actually don't love the implication to sweat the big stuff yeah well what i don't love about that it's like i think when the big stuff comes along the implication is like all right it's go time like okay it's happening uh it's like michael scott right like okay it's happening it's happening like the big stuff is coming down you want to be schwitzing through the big stuff i know i keep saying schwitzing but do you want to sweat the big stuff mike you're gonna be sticky you're going to be smelly. You're going to be slippery. Like, this is not the time to be uh, exuding all of these fluids. I think the big stuff, you want to be dry. I think all you right. want to be dry through the big stuff. You want to be clean through the big stuff. And then after the big stuff, if you got to sweat, then it's time to sweat. I think maybe do sweat the small stuff. The small oh. stuff, it's like, that's fine. Like, this, this is the is a, time. This is a handy would you rather. Would you rather sweat the small stuff or the big stuff? I would rather sweat the small stuff. Oh, that's interesting. I would rather sweat the big stuff because I feel like if you sweat through the small stuff, you are drenched, right? And you are so uncomfortable. Yes, the light might dry you up, but there is still that permeating, like, stink and kind of crust available from a <laughs> post-sweat body. And then you have to go through the big stuff. After that, you're not going to be in the right headspace for that. Well, I would theoretically, like, the big stuff happens at a different time. I assumed we're just ascending through the sizes. First yeah. small, then medium, then big. Right. Okay, well, then, if that's the case, if it is, like, if it's, like, consecutive and it's happening all in a row, then sure. Yeah, just save the sweat for the end, I guess. But uh, if, if it's the big stuff is on its own, I think you just sweat through that. I think, uh, or you don't want to sweat through that. I don't know. I just, you know, try not to sweat that much. If I you know, have gonna, to sweat, was, you got to sweat. I was going to ask how breathable those fabrics were, but we kind of saw from like Admiral Kane's last sojourn into her office that like 
it's clear that they wear all that stuff underneath because the jackets they wear are just like pretty incredibly hot. He- heavy. Yeah, heavy and hot. Um, okay. Um, so we go to Adama's quarters, and here's Baby Boomer. Uh, yeah. And he has to have a conversation with her about, hey, so why do the Cylons hate us so much? And she's like, you ask me that now? It's been 48 hours. Now you want to ask me it? Yeah. Uh, it's because humanity was flawed. It's what you said back in the miniseries. Humanity was flawed. It never asked itself oh, why. I, never it watched that thing. I just jumped on with 22. <laughs> it never asked itself why it deserved to survive. And maybe it didn't. Uh, she says it's not hate. It's just that you're flawed. Um, some ways in which this also feels like a deleted scene. But I think that the thing that I would miss if this scene were removed is I think it's really interesting that Adama wants to like spend time with baby boomer don't you yes i completely agree that adama in this moment where he is about to maybe start a civil war within the fleet uh arguably though he basically did in the beginning of season two yeah. or end of season one is him asking like my man the- loves a civil war oh yeah well he's a reenactor af uh he yes. would have loved that D series that never came to pass yes. uh but he I think in this darkest hour is kind of pulling from his own son's thinking of like, how different are we from the Cylons if we're doing this? And I love baby boomer pulling all the way back to not the, so say we all speech, but the first speech that Adama made back when everything was seemingly hunky dory, when the big G was being decommissioned about how humanity was a flawed creation that people kill each other. Humanity never asked why it deserves to survive. Maybe you don't. And I think, it gives Adama this very different worldview of like, d- does anyone deserve to die yeah. here? That yes, maybe Roslyn is trying to put out this idea of survivability, but at the same time, am I no better than Kane if I'm the person holding the gun now saying, oh, you don't follow my orders, you have to die. Right. So I think it's interesting to get that perspective. I think that the two of these characters in a room together, I think the fact that Adama can... I don't know. It's not even like tolerate being in the same space as uh, not his Sharon Valeri, but a Sharon um, that he's able to like, I think like it's not even that he's able to tolerate. He's requested it. You know, he wants her perspective. That feels like an evolution. That feels like something is shifting. Uh, So all of that, I think, is important for us to be tracking right now. Um, Okay, so now we get to the middle of the attack mission. We kind of just like yada yada to the attack. We really do. And I... And another reason why, again, I think these two parts would have worked well together. I know that previously on outlined the plan, but I had admittedly sort of forgotten about the whole thing about, oh, these are these ships pretending that it's a faulty mining operation. And then that'll draw the Cylon Raiders away. And then Lee will come in with the Blackbird and disable the FTL drive. And then we'll close in. Again, obviously it was mission accomplished, which is why I'll give Starbucks some kudos in my MVP section. But also it did feel like, I don't know, for such a meticulously careful plan that I thought was not going to go to plan whatsoever, it did, but the only reason it did was because it wasn't featured heavily whatsoever. So Lee is going to destroy the FTL drive, and he is flying in Laura the Blackbird, uh, and he destroys the Resurrection Ship's jump drive, but then a raider hits the Blackbird and destroys it, and Lee is very lucky that he ejects. Um... I don't think that I remembered that the Blackbird got obliterated quite so quickly. Oh, man. Tyrrell's handiwork is all gone. I mean, was this them trying to cover up a bit of a plot hole, like the one that's in Lee's suit of like, 
all right, this is kind of an OP ship. I, you know? I was just thinking the same thing where they're like, oh, man, like we can't let them have this for that long. Like if they have this for a while, like there's nothing they can't do. They'll be able to take out the Cylons single handedly. Yeah, it's a bit of a good news, bad news scenario from this mission is like good news. Now the Cylons can experience permadeath. Bad news. Uh, sorry, your super stealthy ship is now gone. I'm I'm sad about the death of the Blackbird. Yeah. I mean, it was a little weird that kind of just came and went over the course of four episodes, but I will give it to, again, the superhuman abilities of the Big G crew to put this badass ship together. And so was it coincidental, though? Because I thought the point of the Blackbird was that nobody could see it or was like Lee dicking around so much that a Raider noticed it or just bumped into it? Yeah, I think like they're they're really in, they're very close, right? I mean, like think about what Kane said uh, about Starbuck. Like she got right into their back door and they had no idea. And so he's in the back door and he shoots their jump drive. He gets that close. Hard to get away uh, without being seen, I think, when you're like that, that close up. So I think the Raider is able to see it in that range at that point. Now that it's like firing, I think it's less of a less of a, a to do to catch this thing. OK, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But right now, Lee is uh, similar to Starbuck, I guess, finding himself in a bit of a tailspin as uh, he is going to eject, and he thinks that, all right, everything's great. I'm just going to chill out. Hopefully the Cylons don't come and pick me off, but that pesky oxygen is uh, leaking out of his suit, and so he's going to start going through some aphasia, or epoxy, I think it is, right? Fairly quickly. I mean, Josh, I don't know if you remember your state the first time you watched this, but like, Maybe it was just wishful thinking on my part. I never took this as a realistic possibility. That he was going to die here? Yeah. I mean, maybe I felt they were laying it on a bit too thick earlier in the episode with, like, his final chats with Starbuck and with his dad. And, like, this would be a very odd way to kill off Liadama. Yes. So when that spotlight turned on with the raptor, I thought, okay, yeah, this this makes total sense. No, there was I don't I don't remember, but I I would have a hard time imagining that I was like particularly stressed out for Lee, especially because I think like the things that have been set up as the danger in this episode are the possible joint assassinations of Adama and Kane, uh, and so I think like. I even think that framing this episode at the beginning with the fact that Lee was going to be in danger is a structural mistake. Like, I think that maybe starting us in the CIC and like, uh, you know, having some moments of like, is the is the plan going to go off without a hitch or not? Um, even then, and we talked about this last time, uh, and I wanted to like posit it to you, even knowing the answer was like, yeah, they've said that once the mission is complete, then we're going to assassinate each other. Like, okay, so the show basically just told me that the mission's going to be a success. Yeah. So, like, you know the mission's going to be a success c- coming into the episode. I almost think that they should just, like, write that in as the foregone conclusion at the start of the episode. Mission accomplished. We'll figure out how they do it. And then the question is, like, are they about to pull the trigger and what's going to happen here? Like, I think like that's a better framing device. There's Uh. really like the danger of it being Lee is like adrift in space is really disconnected from where we left off part one of what the threat of this episode is going to be. So I'm never really concerned for Lee. And I am like, even now this is the only time I've ever watched this episode, trying to like look at it through this critical lens of like, why, why is this the device? Why do we like, why are we framing it this way? Uh, It just feels like a very strange thing to set up here in Resurrection Ship. I mean, let me pause it. Listen, I want to like backseat right here, but could we open if we have to do this media res 
48 hours earlier cold open could we do it in those two moments in the cic where here's sweaty cara thrace being welcomed in she nervously sidles in next to everybody kane congratulates her says she's proud of her she gets on the phone with adama and then we cut to 48 hours earlier is that a better climactic moment than lee floating in space yeah i think so i do uh i think most choices are I think like they're like even something involving uh, Pega Six, who we are about to start talking about finally, who has a huge role in this episode. Uh, I just don't think that Lee has that huge of a role in this episode relative to some of the other characters. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he quite literally is off on his own for the majority of the episode. And I like I- I'm interested to see where this goes. I mean, especially the last line he's going to say in this episode, which we'll get to, I think will hopefully be some like meaningful psychological shit to mine out of this character. But at the same time, I think honestly, in a strong episode, perhaps the biggest miss for me is what they were doing with Lee here. Like, come on, I love a mind palace. I mean, even get a mind palace. We could have right. had a whole Lee flashback episode of him going through stuff, but instead he just imagines himself floating in a freaking reservoir. Yeah. So, well, you know, he's all right though. He just sticks his finger in the suit. Uh, and that's enough. That's enough to keep him alive for a little while longer. Um, okay, let's go to the Pegasus uh, and let's see uh, Gaius Baltar. Uh, Gaius Baltar is having a, a vision here, right? Yeah, so uh, I'm trying to figure out exactly because this is also we're two for two in Resurrection Ship and Baltar just like showing up halfway through. But this is a really interesting, I would say perhaps maybe not passing the baton because. I'll ask, like, where is Baltar going to hide Pegasix later on? But it seems like Pegasix is going to go away for a little while, and then, like, uh, Baltar will come back to head six. But this scene really does seem like Pegasix is the new hotness. Yeah. And you can tell that from Trisha Helfer's performance. Like, she is nervous that, that tens and thousands of Cylons are going to die, and then Baltar just completely questions her logic to Pegasix, who's like, oh, don't worry, God forgives everybody. And so Baltar is going to be so scummy in the way that we love him so much tells the story that Six told him to Pegasix to get her on his side. Uh, and it works. As a result, she reaches out her hand. Yeah. Uh, that uh, you're the one who knows God's plan. Uh, you'll help me fulfill those plans. Uh, and Pegasus Six, yeah, he tells Pegasus Six that, uh, you know, I miss sports, all this stuff. Head Six is pissed. She doesn't like this. She's I, very jealous, Head Six, it seems like. Yeah, I think, uh, again, it's still indeterminate as to whether or not she's real, but I would imagine either way, she's not happy with the headspace that now this person could take up because it means that she has less control over Baltar, right? Like, why listen to the six in your head where there's a corporeal version of her right in front of you? So we cut back to Lee Adama, who is taking care of no business, uh, the opposite of taking care of business. Oh, he probably avoided himself while he was sitting there in space. Yeah, so he's just like being like, beep, doop, boop, boop. D is calling out to him. He cannot respond. Uh, And he's just sort of like watching on as the battle stars successfully destroy the base ship while the Vipers take out the resurrection ship. Uh, And as his oxygen depletes, we see him have the vision of floating in the water. Uh, But this time when the light appears, we see it is the Raptor and it is Racetrack who brings Uh, him back to consciousness. I thought it was going to be Tom Friendly. Yeah. (laughs) Hello there. Yeah. (laughs) Thing is, we're going to have to take the book. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
I'm not going anywhere with my buck. Bottom <laughs> <laughs> uh, <Light> up, Cylons. <laughs> Cylons versus others. I mean, I MC Ganey as a Cylon would have been incredible. Huge. Yeah, it would have been awesome. Would have been awesome. Um, okay, so hooray, we did it. And so the show treats the victory as a fait accompli, right? Like it's it really like there's not a ton of emphasis on the actual destruction of the resurrection ship like this sort of like with the exception of lee kind of goes off without a hitch and so i feel like maybe like having lee be endangered buys them two things in their estimation thing one is there isn't going to be any actual danger in the fighting of the resurrection ship so we need to like manufacture some danger and then thing two is like we could just be with lee while it's happening and maybe save some budget I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, but like, we don't really get too deep into that fight. I feel like we're mostly with Lee through all of that. So another reason why I feel like maybe we start the episode where we go right now, which is the CICs for both Pegasus and Galactica and Kane and uh, Adama. They're both celebrating. And then Gata says the Cylons, those little twerps, they jumped away. Uh, Starbuck comes back to the Pegasus, heads to the CIC, schwitzing just like squishy like, steps left and right wet I, would, I, want, I want someone to walk behind her just uh -huh. slipping and falling yeah wet squelching uh she arrives kane says i'm very proud of you meanwhile on the galactica uh ty tells fisk like oh good thing we didn't need your marines and fisk's like <laughs> so like you know i think like this is almost the scene i almost yeah. think that this is how we should have started the thing i agree considering that like you said if the implication was always going to be that the mission was successful, then yeah, this was a logical point to get to. And so considering that this is where the episode ended, I thought it would be perhaps a better image to kick off on. I know that both the sort of like, you know, abstract element of Lee floating in the reservoir coupled with him floating in space is like a very stark image, but to our points, I think contributes less to this episode than obviously this standoff we get here. So um, I guess first, before we even get into what's going on here, Resurrection Ship is destroyed. Your reaction, Mike? I feel like it's fairly subdued within the episode, but if this Resurrection Ship does what it's purported to do, this is an enormous deal, a, to a total shift in the war. Yeah, I definitely expected it, as we talked about last week, because I think it makes so much sense from a plot perspective. The Cylons hold themselves holier that than thou, above the humans, not only because of their apparent lack of sin and them being an extension of God's will, but also because they have the ability to resurrect themselves, that they can just die and they can pop up in another body. We saw number six gloat about this to Guy's Baltar when we first saw her in the miniseries. So I love what this adds to it because not only does it now add the stakes of like, all right, Cylons, you better be careful because the next time you die is going to be your last. And now we get to see like, how they react to that. I also love the thematic idea of, okay, now humans and Cylons are much closer than we think. Whether it's humanity being capable of doing depraved acts like the Cylons have done, or the Cylons now experiencing mortality. Yes, um, as opposed to less-tality. Uh, they will have more Who's of it Who's less-tality? <laughs> makes a mean guitar. Uh, his middle name, Paul. Uh, so here come the calls. Uh, Kane is going to call Adama. Congratulations, Will, Willie Adams. Uh, Adama says, Congratulations to you, 
Addie Canes. I don't know. Do you have Addie. a first name? Uh, yeah, does she? And I, not that I know. And she's going to get blasted in the face. So who cares? And if you ask her for her first name, she'll shoot you. Shoot you. Uh, so Kane passes the phone over to Starbuck as requested and watches intently. Um, Adama is like, Starbuck's just like, really, you would think only listening for one word, one phrase. Uh, but what he says instead is, I've been thinking about our conversation, and I think it is not enough that we survive. Uh, we need to be worthy of surviving. That's all. Folks. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, Starbucks... Big Bill Adama being like, I can't do this. I cannot make you do this. Uh, I, I love this moment from, from uh, Adama. I think yeah, this that... is great. I love that quote. It's not enough to survive. One has to be worthy of surviving because it is ultimately what we've analyzed from the Pegasus since we've known it, right? This idea of, okay, you were able to get what you wanted done, but at what cost? Right. It's sort of like the math equation we do at the end of every episode. And I think Adama's really verbalizing it here. And it would have been arguably the biggest move of the series at this point of really taking someone out from within but I give a lot of kudos to Adama that despite him really understanding Rosalind's worry about like what a cane filled fleet would look like. I think Adama also has some misgivings of like, yeah, but if this ends up going through, not only will this haunt me for the rest of my life, but like, are we just proving the silence right. point right. at that point that we're not capable of trust that all we do is kill people. And so either way, the Cylons win. And so Kane gets to this same point too, it seems like. Which I had to do a little bit more mental math yes. to get to. Uh, because Adama obviously has these scenes. No, I don't know if Kane was meeting with Pegasus. We'll certainly see her meeting with her own Cylon later on. I do love that, by the way. I didn't even realize it until I spoke it out loud. Like the fun uh, bookends of the ca the captains of the ships meeting with their respective Cylons and just yep. showing how like, Adama giving the soft hand and Kane giving the hard hand were two very different, ultimately uh, very mortal approaches to it. But I had to really try to put my head together as like, why did Kane relent in this moment? Was it a matter of like her celebrating in the ecstasy of this mission accomplished? Because remember, like she has been chasing these Cylons for so, so long that right. like, was this the biggest win she was ever going to get? Was it due to some sort of like allegiance to Starbuck? Like Adama, was it her also feeling like things would be thrown into disarray if she does right. execute the leader of the big G? I'm still not sure. So let me throw this out at you. What if she did order it? So the way that it's framed is she gets the call back and then we're on Fisk as she like congratulates Fisk. And then we're on like Fisk and then we cut back and like we're just like on his face and then we cut back to her and she says that is all we don't know what she says to him like does she say stand down or does she give the order and is it fisk who chooses not to go through with it i mean he after like the phone gets hung up he lets out a big laugh yeah i don't know what he would expect would happen if that was the case i think he'd be like can i stay here i don't want to go back home because my boss will shoot me in the face right maybe it's like a laugh of like i could use a drink because i know i'm like defying admiral kane's like kill order um because I, I just do think that like when you see kane for her final scene and she's going to go back to the office and stuff like 
there's really nothing in there that tells me necessarily that she didn't order it. She might be like, you know, going back and like pouring herself a drink or whatever, because like she just had Admiral Adama killed. Uh, uh, you would think that like she would hear that over the comms and everything. So yeah, I was gonna say like I would imagine if she doesn't hear a big bang and then immediate freak out of like oh my god a double been shot again. Then I she'd guess be, like, it, I guess I'm just trying to puzzle out Mike like what makes more sense to me: Admiral Kane reaching a Eureka and deciding that I shouldn't assassinate Adama, or Admiral Kane ordering it and Fisk deciding I'm not gonna go through with it. And that second thing feels more consistent than the first thing. Like I just don't know that there's enough. She flinches. Right. She tells Starbuck when the time comes, you better not flinch. And so she flinches. And I just don't know that there was enough in this episode that explains why she would flinch. Yeah, I feel like you really need to watch back, I guess, that stuff in the CIC. I don't know. Maybe could it be that she is so tactfully smart that she looks at the flop sweat on Starbucks face and especially the way her mood changes and the fact that she lets out a sort of like quippy line. Once Adama tells her, Is that the first lady of pilots? Yes, exactly. Uh, which I guess would be uh, William Adama's ex-wife, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Uh, or if Lee decides to take somebody. But I do think maybe when Starbuck changes her tune, she clocks that Adama was going to send her to do the exact same thing and decides like, okay, you know what? Uh, I don't want the tactical advantage then. Let's call the whole thing off. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. Uh, there's, there's a lot loaded in there. And I think it comes, unfortunately, at the cost of someone that we got to know a lot of Josh, but then with this decision, I feel like we don't really know at all. Okay, so before Admiral Kane gets killed, uh, we are going to see her killer get released. Uh, Baltar is going to say, hey, uh, could you let me out of here? Oh, hi, Mr. Marine. Look at your shoes. Uh, your your fly is uh, down. Uh, Pegasus, Pegasus 6 comes up from behind his Marine and breaks his neck. Kills him. Yeah. I will say I love the tech aboard the Pegasus. Uh, we'll, I guess we'll talk about how much they're going to be a part of the fleet moving forward. Uh, they have do, it. They've got the Pegasus. They've got Pegasus it. makes yeah. it through. And I do love the sliding doors, though, on the brig. They feel very fancy. Mm -hmm. uh, so she snaps this dude's neck, takes his gun, gives it to Baltar, tries to get him to kill her, but he won't do it. Uh, she says, but suicide's a sin. I can't do it. And he says, uh, actually, what you need is justice. And uh, I have a place where you can stay and be safe. And she says, why would you do that? He says, because I love you, he says to Pegasus 6. Which is so interesting compared to the two men that are also sitting in a cell aboard this very vessel, right? In Tyrrell and especially Hilo, two men that were able to also hide crimes and enable their lovers to do like pretty big things for their own emotions. I guess what I'm trying to wonder out loud, Josh, is like, where is he talking about? We know Baltar loves to talk out of his ass, mm -hmm. but where could he possibly hide her away? Because the big G, they've seen Shelly Godfrey. They know that she's a Cylon, and they already have one that's like in their midst that is on their side. So I don't know. Do they drop her back off on a COBOL? Like, where would they put her? I guess a mystery for another day to unsolve, Mike. I'm not sure. Maybe like the Astral Queen? Mm -hmm. Does Zarek need a first lady? Could she just be hanging out cloud nine? Like everyone's so blasted that they can't even tell? That would honestly be a sort of hiding in plain sight thing. Batman uh, Dark Knight Rises style that I uh -huh. don't think I'd be completely mad at. You know, the first thing we see her do in this series is kind of hide amongst the rank and file citizens of the colonies. I could see that maybe where 
or Baltar, we haven't really seen him uh, exercise any sort of like executive privileges. I'm sure he'd get onto any vessel and be like, I'm the vice president. I need to hide this woman somewhere. And like, are you all trying to tell me that no one in France could recognize Bruce Wayne? <laughs> Listen, Bruce Gotham Wayne, City... presumed dead, like can't just like go and get a cafe au lait, you know, like that's Bruce Wayne. He's well, we of... know that Bruce Wayne, obviously Wayne Enterprises had dealings in Asia. We don't know about Europe, though. They never went there know. for any climactic scenes in those movies. Like, uh, like I feel like it was, it was Italy, though, wasn't it? Wherever. So let's talk about a different Kane. Oh, imagine if Admiral Kane was played by Michael Kane. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, Michael Caine as Admiral Kane goes back to his office, winds down, guard is down, here's Pegasus. Pegasus says, you can roll over or beg, and Kane says, never. Yeah. Frock you. Frock you. Uh, sometimes, no, Miss, sometimes, Miss Starbuck, <laughs> you have to get, you have to flinch. Why do we get... downfall, Miss Thrace? Uh, what yeah. should we do when we fall off the raptor, Mr. Adama? Yeah. We go to a strange reservoir and <laughs> sometimes wear sunglasses. So Admiral Kane uh, uh, is going to be confronted by Pegasus. Pegasus says, roll over or beg. Uh, Kane just responds by saying, frack you. Pegasus says, you're not my type. Pretty bad as exit line. Shoots Kane in the face. Yeah, I, I got to say pretty good, pretty good line. Pretty good. Um, <laughs> and listen, I, I love this, uh, though. You know, I had a feeling that Kane had to be wiped off the board somehow because, again, she can't, like, retire. She doesn't want to retire. She has to die at some point. I really like the swerve of both parties, for their respective reasons, backing down only for the, for lack of a better term, cruelty that Kane has been exacting all over these months has come back to bite her and shoot her right there in the face. I think it's a great representation of the human Cylon conflict in general, right? The reasons why the Cylons came back after 40 years and bombed the shit out of everybody is because yeah. they felt that they were being subjugated, tortured, not treated as people. And so I feel like it's a perfect microcosm of not only the past three episodes in this entire arc, but arguably the series up to this point. Yeah, so uh, a couple episodes ago, and this was a long time ago in, in real time since we took a month off in between recording Pegasus and Resurrection Ship Part 1, I asked you, like, would you have been interested in the other 48 days uh, version of the Pegasus storyline? Uh, and I have no problem now that Kane is dead revealing to you that such a thing exists. Whoa, um, what? There is so there is a made for TV, maybe even made for direct DVD movie, <gasps> Battlestar Galactica Razor that we will watch for the podcast oh, at some point. Okay. Uh, and it's going to show events from uh the Pegasus perspective. So we will see Admiral Kane again through that. Uh and there is some discrepancy over when you should watch that. Um if it was based on when does it make the most sense to watch it? I think there's a strong argument that it's after season two. If it's when was it released, that's after season three. Uh, but that does feel far, but that's what we've said behind the scenes we'll be doing. We're willing to negotiate this with the Hatchlings. If the Hatchlings have a strong desire to watch Razor in between seasons two and three, I think that could be fun. There are like some arguments that there's some content in Razor that's like a little spoilery. I don't really think so. Um, but I could go and I, I could look and review it. But all this also will depend, Mike, on kind of like, what do you want to do at the end of season two? Do you want to like go back and circle back with the Pegasus and what their story was that got them to this moment? It's uh, it's good stuff. Uh, Razor's pretty cool. 
Yeah, I mean, I would say ask me again in eight weeks, but right now I'm inclined to say, yeah, that makes me very excited. They're not leaving money on the table because, again, uh, despite like the kind of odd note that they leave Kane on, I still think the idea of getting to explore what happened with the Pegasus, finding out more about that, that XO that Kane ends up killing to see the apparently that huge gutting moment where she decides, you know, which people to strip from these civilian vessels and leaving the rest to die. That's some good quality shit. I want to see that. All right. Well, we'll watch it at some point, just a matter of when. So we'll, of course, keep everyone posted on on when that's going to go down. Uh, Pegasus shoots Kane in the face. Not my type. Uh, great closing line. We go straight to the funeral uh, Fisk has been promoted commander of the Pegasus. He says, I promise I will uphold your values. Oh, not a good idea. Starbuck even says she did everything she could to survive. She never gave up. The fleet was safer with her than it will be without her. I don't love this revisionist history on Admiral Kane. I mean, this happens with all sorts of historical things. I know. Though, right? Yeah. I'm like, well, they were a great person. Look at all the good that they accomplished. But also, why is Starbucks speaking at the funeral? They met two days ago. She's technically the CAG. So but there's so many people aboard the Pegasus. They loved freaking Thorne as despicable as he was. You don't think anyone else would be lining up to give a eulogy for Admiral Kane? I guess not. She's like, you know, next in line as the CAG. So technically, it's her, her job. But uh, it's a brief scene, Kane's funeral. Uh, I think that's a really uh, great observation of like the way that even like supremely problematic uh, leaders and figures are remembered like in the press or like, yep. you know, like uh, wide, like what that looks like when in reality, it's like, yo, this lady executed families. Yeah. And it, it casts a long shadow, the idea of legacy. And it'll be interesting to see what anyone takes away from Kane is Starbuck going to really now walk into things with that idea of she didn't worry she didn't second guess she acted she did what she thought needed to be done will adama now have more sort of confidence in his own human management skills and realize that the hard six doesn't need to be rolled every single time i'm not entirely sure but yet is sort of like a cold reminder for a cold character of oftentimes the way that we speak publicly about people and the ways that they are remembered uh, oftentimes overshadows the very complicated people they tend to be. Um, okay, so there's a scene with Lee and Starbuck, uh, and he's apologizing for not being there when he said he would be. She says, it's fine. Uh, close call like that would mess with anyone's head. I hope that you're all right. And uh, the important thing is you're alive. And he says, well, here's the thing. I didn't want to make it out alive. Uh, and Duala is listening in on the conversation. What the hell is going on? Why? I'm so... What's up? What's wrong? I don't know. You're not here for the decim? No, I'm not. Well, first off, maybe. Uh, You're not here for the three decim? But poor cucked Billy would just have to, like, sit in the corner and watch, I (laughs) I don't know. Billy seems to be maybe in a threesome of his own, like Adama and Rosalind just kissing right in front of him. You think he would have gone in on that? I was surprised Adama didn't look over at him. He's like, would you want to join in? Billy's like, yeah, sir, sir, whatever. Is, is, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this is, I had a couple different reads of this. First, I was thinking, okay, are they too loose-lipped with the whole attempted assassination thing? And D is happening to listen around the corner, and maybe this is something that will come back to bite Starbuck and Lee. But also, Adama and Roslyn order the assassination, so it's not like it'll really get them in trouble unless she tells the press, and that's yeah. not really D. But like... Are they really trying to make Lee D a thing? I, it seems like they really, 
really are. And I am bitterly spitting out that spoon. Okay. I do not like the taste. Between like that moment from a few episodes ago, remember when they were test doing martial arts and oh, like yeah, they lingered on each other and now I she's remember. hiding around the corner and like listening to him saying, I don't want to be alive anymore. I, I don't know. Maybe if she ends up just being his like accountability buddy and like helps him through this mental health crisis that he's going through, having been resurrected himself. Great. If this ends up being our sort of uh second act mandatory conflict in our rom-com that is Starbuck and Lee, not a fan. Okay. Not a fan. Mike Bloom. We're tracking that. Uh, baby boomer and Hilo happy reunion. How did, this, how did this happen? Again. I guess because Adama's the Admiral, he's like, yeah, bring him back. You can't yeah. overrule me. He's in charge now. Yeah, he's like supremely in charge now. Um, as we get to that final scene of the episode where he visits Rosalind on Colonial One, and she says, hey, uh, how did Pegasus 6 escape? Adama says, no one knows, despite the fact that Gaius Baltar was there like for like 72 hours straight. Yeah, do you think he's going to be interrogated at all next episode? I mean, again, Adama's in charge, but you would imagine this is something he somewhat cares about. All I'll say is, to me, this actually does not feel all that complicated. At the very least, you would think that Baltar might have a clue as to what happened. So the fact that they're like, yeah, no one knows. Uh, you know, he's in the hot dog suit. We're all looking for the guy who did this. Like, yeah, because well, also considering that Baltar, from our estimation, from the start of Pegasus, went to Pegasus and never left, seemingly. He's just been hanging out there for the better part of a week. I would imagine he'd be the first person to go to. But we also know a lot of these interrogations on BSG just end up going nowhere. It's yeah. pretty much characters lying and everyone being like, yeah, that's an acceptable enough answer. Go about your merry way. It strikes me that a hot dog suit is just a flight suit here. Uh, you're just dressed up like hot dog. Yes. Uh, okay, so uh, Rosalind tells Adama, really great that you didn't have to assassinate anyone. We love that. Uh, and she uh, she's really tired. She says she could sleep for a year. Uh, and she says, but you can't. And she calls Billy over and presents Adama with these insignias that recognize the rank of Admiral. And yeah, new pips. Says, That's you now. And Adama says, you know, I'd always I'd always hoped one of these days, uh, but I'd stop trying to get him some time ago. And Rosalind says, goes to show you should never give up hope. And Adama says, yeah. And she goes, yeah. And he says, yeah. And she goes, yeah. <laughs> There's her leading in closer and closer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then they kiss and it's cute. They have a nice little smile. Billy's just in the room. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. This is the quintessential Billy moment. Of like, Billy being in the room is a really, really funny. It's like very <laughs> tense, tender moment that's been a buildup of what, at this point, like uh, like 25 episodes? And yeah. Billy's like, okay, well, you've got to take your Kamala extract. Yeah. Well, this way, like, I don't know. Come on uh billy being there is incredible uh so they kiss billy takes Rosalind away that is the end of ship yeah i mean what Cute moment love it love it what an ending yeah, yeah i mean it's a it's a big it's a big it's arguably william Adama's best scene from just like uh an accomplishment perspective right yes. he gets promoted something and let's also remember we saw those flashbacks in the beginning of season two that like Remember, Adama was bottom of the barrel, was basically like uh, decommissioned on his own to be with Ty. And he was able to work his way back in, work his way all the way up to, yes, captain commander, I should say, of a decommissioned ship. But then to actually become admiral, considering his just like entire militaristic journey, 
like you said, it is such a dream come true. So maybe it was just imbued with the spirit of Cloud Nine, not the bar, that he uh, ends up kissing her in that moment. And she seems to reciprocate. I do not know where conversations go after this. I think knowing the two of them, they're going to completely ignore this and move forward. Okay. Uh, well, we won't. We'll never forget that Billy was in the room when uh, when William Adam and Laura this Roslin man smooched. has kept so many secrets, and now he has to keep <laughs> another one. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Billy, Top and bottom. tell anyone that we kissed. <laughs> Top and bottom five. MVPs, LVPs. I've got three MVPs this week. You've got three LVPs. Um, I would like to just uh, explain my whole set real quick, if you don't okay, mind. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Um, okay, so two MVP points for Admiral Adama and two LVP points for Admiral Kane. I thought about the head-to-head. Who comes out on top? It's Admiral Adama. He gets a point for that. I thought about who got promoted in this episode and kissed. It's Admiral Adama. (laughs) So he gets the extra kiss in the MVP points. Admiral Kane loses the head-to-head against Adama. LVP point for that. Admiral Kane gets shot in the brain. LVP point for that. So it's a two and two switch off with Pegasus getting my final MVP point for pulling the trigger. Well, listen, I will edge out Adama over Admiral Kane and I will give him a third MVP point. I mean, let's also remember, like, he was the one that helped lead the entire mission to a great success to blow up the resurrection ship. He's the first one to call off the assassination as well, which was a correct decision. Like, it takes a big person to admit when they were wrong. We're seeing that more and more so nowadays. And the fact that he was able to change course after being so resolute in the previous episode, to me, shows the maturity of a truly great man. Yes. Uh, so big Bill Adama with a really big week here on the leaderboard. Uh, he now has seven MVP points and he's slept through the first four episodes of the show. He is uh, the clubhouse leader in the MVP points. But oh, not so fast because of Mike Bloom. Aha, blindside. Here comes my Cylon Raider to blow those chances of an MVP win out of the sky. Starbuck, uh, I'm giving her some kudos as well because, yes, it was a little bit second string in terms of airtime. But remember, she was the one in this CAC position being the first one, the first time ever she's plotting out an entire mission, something that overwhelmed her. And she accomplished it to a plum. In my opinion, the only like thing that went bad was Lee possibly dying, but it all worked out in the end. And guess what? He kind of wanted to anyway. Yeah. So, and the fact that as well, she does seem to show her humanity here and like she was going to go through with the task, but she is at ease in so many ways in backing down. It was a small moral conflict to follow, but I think Starbuck continues to excel here. I do wonder what this means moving forward. I mean, I'm assuming she would want to be back under Adama, but like, she showed a lot of metal as CAG. Uh, if they involve the Pegasus again in a large way, as sort of like a secondary location to go to on the show, there's a world, I don't see it, but there's a world where Starbuck could stay on the Pegasus. Mm. Is that a world you would like? I mean, I do like the dueling CAGs aspect of Starbuck and Lee, but I think Starbuck forever, right, has been that person that like, hasn't refused to accept promotions because again, she's never necessarily gotten them due to her insubordination, but like she has always been fine being in the position that she's in. But if I'm sort of tracking Starbucks arc over the course of these couple of episodes, I would think that it's like her first taste of power in a manner of speaking. And she was able to accomplish what she wanted. So 
I could see a world, especially for simplicity's sake, where it's just like, okay, she goes back to the big G and she's a, a rank and file pilot again. But I would kind of like her to stay aboard the Pegasus because I, I liked her in those CAG boots. And I think especially her but and Lee... they just look the same as everybody else's boots. Yeah, maybe she picked up somebody else's boots in that icebreaker. But I think her and Lee working for and against each other could also be really interesting. Um, okay, so give me your three LVPs, Mike. All right, well, they're all going to be Pegasus people as we're like softly saying goodbye to them. I think they'll exist as a plot point, but I don't know how much we're actually going to do stuff on there considering that, A, they seem to be full of just absolute bottom-of-the-barrel people, and B, the one Cylon aboard escaped. So, like, none of our main characters are on it. There's nothing really doing with it for now. First one goes to Fisk, and this is sort of like, I would say, a, a culminative NB LVP point for, like, this entire arc that this dude was very loose-lipped with Colonel Ty and let a lot of information slip about his boss that honestly he shouldn't have if he was a good uh, subordinate to her. And so I feel like he's not very good at his job of, yes, he is keeping his tongue in cheek when speaking with Admiral Kane, but that tongue is a flapping. And as we found out from True Detective this past week, you don't want your tongue a flapping in so many ways. I gave an LVP as well to those two Pega Bros, Gage and Vareem. Just such There's absolute- a steakhouse in my uh, neighborhood in Brooklyn called Gage and Tolner. So I just think of these two as like running a like a worse steakhouse. Kate, Are they going to tenderize the steaks by bars of soap and towels? Yeah, like- they just like beat the meat. Yeah. yeah. Oh boy. Whoa. Okay. Well, these guys uh, are just assholes, truly. And I feel like they also represent like everything that's wrong with the Pegasus, which is just the inhumanity towards not only the Cylons, but also their fellow man. But last point has to go to the Cylons. Again, it's a bit of an afterthought. It, yeah. But their freaking resurrection ship just blew up. This has to be one of the biggest dubs that the fleet takes, maybe since hand to God. They lose the resurrection ship, and it's not even like a top story on the board yeah. you know it's like yeah well we'll definitely just take that out and so like they definitely do they just get caught with their pants down it's really bad week for the cylons and yeah, very like clearly the, the fleet will win in the head-to-head this week the only w they get is i guess pegasus expa- escaping and also what one of them accidentally bumping into lee on their way to the bathroom and like, destroying the ship yeah you know so like they definitely they definitely lose the head-to-head which leaves us uh six for the fleet two for the cylons four ties for season two it's 11 for the fleet total against seven wins for the Cylons against five Colonel ties all in. And also with your LVPs, the updates are that Adama and Starbuck are tied at the top with seven apiece. Chief and baby boomer are tied in second oh. with five apiece. And then it's a tie uh, for four uh, between Laura Roslin and Deanna, not Troy, uh, who has only been in one episode up to this point. So very impressive there. Um, and at the very bottom, uh, Admiral Kane currently with negative seven, there is this triumvirate of the Cylons, Thorn, and Meyer in negative five. Cylons probably just like they're always going to be the season LVP. So I think like you yeah. just have to look at who's like the next character above the Cylons. So can anyone surpass Kane? I guess is my question. I mean, I think the Cylons might, uh, considering that we have eight episodes left and they only need three more LVP points, and it seems like they just keep slipping and falling into their own poop. I could imagine that's the case, but I think we also talked about this last week when we really dunked on Kane. Like, I also like her sitting at the bottom of the human characters, yep. at least to, again, serve as an example of just what humanity is capable of doing. 
for sure. Um, okay, well, we got to rate this episode from a scale of zero to four point two. Mike Bloom, uh, we decided to postpone that effort until second part of Resurrection Ship. We didn't just grade Resurrection; we needed to grade Ship as well and combine the scores. Of course, I get a score. Mike gets a score. You out there in listener land, you get a score as well. If you want to send that in anytime, you can do so, and we will tally it for the end of the season. I really thought, just like looking at the episode list, that Resurrection Ship was going to end up being a very easy 4.2 for me. But I think like there's enough in there that feels like this should have been like one episode, one really big episode, and there's enough that could be shaved and some structural things that I don't personally feel comfortable like rating it much lower than a 4.2 because I think the highs are so high. I think that final scene uh, between Pegasus and Admiral Kane is really great uh, yeah. and feels like really earned. Um, a couple of other moments just across those two episodes that are, are so good. But I think like sort of like my ceremonial, this episode is maybe not quite as amazing as remembered for me is just a 4.1. We'll just downgrade it ever so slightly for me. Yeah, so I'm going to go a bit lower. I talked last week about how this was a bit of a mid-threes to start off for part one. And it definitely rose, but not as high as maybe I expected. And again, maybe it comes down to expectations for me. That I thought we were going to get set up with these two beautiful sequences. With the destruction of the resurrection ship. And then these two face-offs. And while I enjoyed what we got with the face-offs. And at least half of them tracked with the characters. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit bitter that the entire sequence. Again, I admire the fact that they did not make it a big to-do. But... I'm still trying to chew it over personally. I'm not that much lower than you. I ended up giving it a 3.9. And maybe as the season goes along, I might bump it up to a flat four. But that might be the highest that I go. I just feel like even putting both parts of Resurrection Ship together, I feel like there's a little bit more fat than, yeah, I think so. I, than, than some of the other two-parters. And even something like Home, I gave a 3.82, which was also, I think, a similar bit of like, okay, part one was really setting some stuff up and part two had some epic scenes, but then it was kind of surrounded by some poor choices made by the show. Totally. And I, I think another thing for me also is resurrection ship versus Pegasus. This is sort of an arc, right? This two yeah. kind of three sort of four episode arc. Um, and I think the, the first portion is superior. I think the yep, arrival yep. of the Pegasus and the immediate raising of the stakes, it just like goes from six to midnight so quickly um, in a way that it just escalates in a way where the danger is it's just so it's just so there uh, that I feel like Pegasus beats resurrection ship for sure. So for me, like I just want to make sure that that's clear uh, and that that felt very clear to me in watching these two episodes. So uh, there you have it. There's your resurrection ship score and we'll see where things go from here. Um, no jumps in this episode, Mike. Seven fracks, including mm -hmm. Admiral Kane's final frack. <laughs> uh, she gets one frack in. 96 fracks for season two thus far. 161 fracks overall. We're hitting triple digits next episode, I imagine. Uh, very likely. Um, Mike, you predicted that Starbuck and Apollo would frack within 41 episodes. 25 episodes down. It has not yet happened. They did hold hands in this episode, They though. did hold hands. Um and Lee's dad kissed. So I was gonna say, yeah, it's Lee feeling weird rising, that his dad got more action than he did in the series. Yeah, Starbuck, can you promote me to Admiral? Um, Cylon rankings, nothing changes, I assume. No, uh, I think 
Six continues to rise here. I really like the dual Trisha Helfer scene. And Pegasix is becoming more interesting to me, especially in a rebuttal to Head Six. I don't know if she's going away for a while because, again, she's got to keep her profile low. But I'm excited. You know, we really checked in in, like, the first third of the season and I felt like they were really giving Six nothing to do. And it really felt like Boomer was kind of taking the stage as the Cylon representative. So I'm glad Six is kind of taking it back for these this arc. Uh, next week, Mike, the story continues. Epiphanies is the name of the next episode of Battlestar Galactica. Any predictions based on the title, Mike? Well, I'm looking at the content warnings. Okay, uh, would you like to read the content warnings as supplied by the great Ben behind the curtain? Certainly, though not happily. Uh, themes of non-consensual medical treatment. Themes of sexual non-consent. Themes of abortion. Themes of terrorism. I am thinking about two very distinct directions. One, hey, isn't it about time that Baby Boomer had that baby? Mm. Uh, you know, we had some complications a few episodes ago. She's certainly not showing, but she is also a Cylon. The other thing I'm thinking about is that uh, before Admiral Kane's death, Starbuck and her did get on the same page about returning to Caprica to go deal with that entire uh, farming project that the Cylons were working on. Listen, given uh, how I'm happy to leave Caprica behind, I would kind of hope it's the former. But right now, I might lean the latter. I could see us returning to Caprica, especially the themes of like sexual non-consent. I think that goes back to everything happening with the farm. And I could also imagine with like the fleet itself a little aimless at this moment, despite the fact that, again, they now have the coordinates for Earth. I could see them finally being like, all right, Starbuck, let's listen to you. Let's go back to Caprica, see if we can figure out what's going on there with the remnants of humanity. Okay, well, we'll find out. We'll have epiphanies of our own, I suspect, as we watch Epiphanies, the Baker's dozenth episode. <laughs> Is that how you do it? That's, Battle what, that's what they say. <laughs> Battlestar Galactica, season two's Baker's dozenth episode. Coming next to Down the Hatch, make sure you are subscribed, that you're sending all your feedback in. Make sure you're thanking the team behind the curtain alongside us, Operation Mattingly, as well. The great Alex G, everybody who helps deliver the content through the pneumatic tubes to make this podcast possible for you. Mike, we are once again recording a little bit disjointed from time, about a week out from when we are going to be releasing this podcast. So I think uh, to actively try and figure out what you've got going on in the real time is a difficult exercise. Your podcast is about True Detective. Yeah, I'm talking about True Detective, uh, which will have aired its second episode by the time you are listening to this. And I am back every week with Latanya Starks on Versus, where we're comparing an episode of True Detective Night Country to an episode or perhaps episodes of True Detective Season 1. I mean, what I've seen so far of True Detective Night Country is so freaky deaky. I'm excited to go back to True Detective Season 1 and remember, has it truly been this freaky deaky for 10 years? So I'm excited to do that. And as well, uh, we'll have finished up our coverage of Fargo as well so i'm, I'm stewed in a weird cop-based crime shows as of late and i couldn't be happier it's very fun stuff from the great mike bloom at a mike bloom type wherever you can find this man i'm at ron howard wherever you can find me we will be here on down the hatch next week talking about epiphanies until then everybody take care bye-bye <laughs>